Well, guys, you're in for a treat or the weirdest podcast you've ever listened to. I thought it would be fun to bring my dear friend, Asan, onto the show to chat. Those of you who have been to a Rise conference before know Asan as Asan the DJ. And you have danced to his music, you've laughed at his jokes, you know that he is as much a part of the structure of one of our events as I am. And as we prepare for tour, which we kick off in about three weeks now, thought it would be fun to have him come on and chat and catch up and talk about the shows and what we're putting together. But even more than that, I just thought it'd be cool to bring on my friend and have a real conversation. So it isn't an interview. It's a chat. And it's very much the exact kind of conversation that Asan and I have when we're together, which goes all over the place. We talk about breaking up with someone. We talk about social constructs like marriage or believing that you have to go to college or whatever other ideology that we buy into because it's the way that we were raised. We talk about unconscious bias and how it's written into the algorithm and the code. And we do, yes, absolutely get into a conversation about simulation theory. All of that happens before we actually remember to talk about tour. So if you want to hear us chat about anything and everything, this is the episode to listen to while you do something else. But this is my chat with Asan, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed getting to catch up with my friend. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast, I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. The intention behind wanting to have a tour in the first place, yeah. which is that I... I personally am missing community. I'm missing community. And so I figure if I'm missing community, then maybe other people are as well. And there's like the most amazing connection happens, not when you meet someone and you're like, oh, you look like me, you think like me, you vote like me, but when you meet someone that you're like, oh, you too. Yeah. Like you're also doing this thing that I'm trying to do. You're also dreaming of this other you're also like kind of not sure what to do with your life now. You're also it you know what is it? CS Lewis, the most powerful words in the English language are me too. Yeah. And I think that when you get together in a community and you find people that have similarities to you, it number one it makes you feel not so alone, mm-hmm. but it also means that 
I don't know. I feel like it gives you like such a boost. It gives you power. You're like, okay, hell yeah, let's do this. Now you have someone you can call when it's hard. It's like as a parent of a toddler, then you meet another mom who's a parent of a toddler. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh girl, call me if you start crying over potty training. Like I'll get you. Mm -hmm. It's incredible when you think about the fact that we did, I want to say this for people who are listening, who may not know this. (laughs) I'll do an intro so that they know who you are. But you... And Jack, so the mm-hmm. three of us on this call mm-hmm. are the have been at every Rise conference mm-hmm. since the very first one. Check this out. Which is I still got my so you, uh, my water oh, bottle. Oh, <laughs> I love that bottle. That's so cool. I, I forgot it. about that one. Yeah. yeah, it's it's incredible to think. You know, 2017, we have this crazy idea to do this event. Sammy and I are on an airplane. We're talking about literally mm-hmm. the idea was. We all went to the same church, and I'm not sure if everybody knows this story, but we all went to the same church, and Sammy and I really wanted to throw an event that was not based in faith Mm -hmm. because we were like, well, we have incredible community in our church, and we get to come together and have dinners and go to events and do all these things as a group, but what does it look like if you're not part of our church? What if you're Muslim? What if you're Jewish? What if you're atheist? And maybe you wouldn't feel comfortable coming into a space that has a religious you know, foundation. So we wanted to create a a space that felt like, you said, like that agape love, that felt like that community and that Mm -hmm. sense of fun and that connection, but it didn't matter who you were, what you believed in, what you looked like, you were welcome here. And so we literally on that first plane ride, Sammy was like, maybe we could get a song. And I didn't even know you. You were the drummer. Like, that's how I was like, the drummer is a DJ? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so funny because from the very first event, that sort of back and forth between the two of us, like, Mm -hmm. became that foundation of the event, which if you've been to a RISE conference before, you know what we're talking about and you know who Hassan is. Mm -hmm. And they're probably tripping out right now to, like, hear... Like how we philosophize. (laughs) Talking about simulation theory. Yeah, 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 simulation theory. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's incredible to to imagine how far it's come. And like here we are now for the first time going to different cities and trying this new experiment. I'm so excited. And it really is because like it's that community thing. You know, we put out – we sent out an email – Mm-hmm. Because for each city, we were looking for a couple volunteers. Literally, we just want people to greet. Like when you come in the door, we want you, you know, someone who's going to love on the women who are coming in, mm-hmm. the women and like the three dudes that those women of dragged course. along to the event. <laughs> yeah. We wanted people who could like love on them and like yeah. say hello and make them feel comfortable. You know how we do. Yeah. And so we had sent out this call for volunteers. And not only did we get such an incredible response, but mm-hmm. it's like our volunteers who's who have volunteered at every event we've ever, you know, it's the same women. And they like bought a ticket to the event, but still want to volunteer. So I'm so excited. Are you feeling excited? How are you feeling about tour? I am. I am super excited. I think there's something truly special about like uh, those spaces that you, that you help to curate. Like, I think the experiences that happen there are like crazy. Like they're, they're so dope. Like it's so beautiful. Uh, The energy of it is like unmatched. Like it, it truly is like, the vision that you set out with Sammy on the plane like truly came to fruition like there's there's yeah. like it, yeah the energy is unmatched like the everyone coming together from different walks of life and stuff like that and I think it's it's important to go to these cities where like because I think of like I think of these cities all the time where like 
the, just people who are, you know, from a, like a smaller town who, who don't run into pe- a lot of people who are very different from them coming together at a place where they're going to experience people either who have flown in from other places or, right. or like, or what you offer, uh, even people that are somewhat close to them, but they're, they're all attracted to the, the space that you're c- curating. And so they're all gathering around this like mutual interest of like, of this experience. And I think it's so cool to have those people have a chance to meet each other and to become friends and to do all that. Like, it's beautiful. Like there's not a lot of intentional, uh, opportunities to do that that are fun and that are also like yes. especially geared for a like a female audience like that right. we need we need more of that like I think that's so cool it's so we dope. have so much fun and I think it's worth asking because people who haven't been to an event before they see the video of like mm-hmm. everybody dancing everybody jumping up and they're like what Mm-hmm. the hell is going on yeah. at this event like why are these people mm-hmm. and i know it might seem weird to combine like dancing to beyonce and personal development but yeah. it really works of course one yeah. because it makes it fun mm-hmm. two because it keeps your energy up and when your energy's up you're so much more prone to like belief in yourself having courage talking to a stranger the whole thing but We also, that was just us. We just wanted to have a good time. We wanted to play music. We wanted to joke around. We want people to laugh. We want people to cry. Like it's the full spectrum of everything. So I think if there is one misconception about the events that we throw, Mm -hmm. it's that they see people dancing in their like seats or jumping up and down. They're like, oh, what are these? Bro, Assange's yeah. playing something sick and people yeah. want to move uh-huh. and it works. I it's just a vibe. It's a party, but it's also teaching and connecting and yeah. I'm so excited. Okay, and I have an idea. Yeah, let's do it. I have an idea that I wanna hear your thoughts on slash okay. present to the community for the first time. <laughs> so for as long as we've done these events, we've always had a handful of songs that are like our songs. So like classic mm-hmm. is the Macklemore song. We've danced to that song at every single Rise conference we've ever done. And of course it's gonna like, we have to, cause yeah. you know, this is our thing. This is my song choice. I love it. But I thought, would it be so fun mm-hmm. if you and I came up with like six songs or seven songs, I don't know, that were, that pump you up, that make you feel empowered. You know, this is your expertise. So I'll okay. let you dream on this. But at every single city stop, we let the audience choose their theme song for the night. That'd be great. So we're for like Birmingham. Okay, here's what's up. Asan is going to play you a sample of seven different songs. And based on applause, y'all are going to choose your theme song. Because what we know, having been to an event, is that those songs become a part of your psyche. Mm -hmm. When you have an emotional experience, when you set a goal, when you get energized and a song's playing, for the rest of your life, that song comes on and you're like, okay, let's go. 100%. 100%. So, yeah, I thought that would be cool if each city got to pick their own theme song. And then it. wouldn't it be interesting, like, oh, Birmingham went old school. They wanted, like, 90s hip-hop. And mm-hmm. Charleston was all about something from today. And mm-hmm. these three cities picked Beyonce because she's a queen and whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's I love think that. on that. Let's think on what songs we could present to everybody. Because I feel like that'll be a fun moment at the start of the show to, like, hype people up. Mm-hmm. Is like, what's your jam? We have to have a full spectrum. Like, we've got to yeah, have something true. older. 
we've got to have we have to be able to find out like regionally like what was the number one song in Alabama of the right. 90s or something okay. you know what I we, mean yeah so, we need to yeah we need to research I mean I don't know how it works or maybe there's like you know if it, there's a sports team that's really popular nearby yeah. and they have like a song because it'd be great to remember when we were in Toronto and mm. we did the like the best of Canadians and we just played all Canadian artists. For, like like an the hour. amount of love for Nickelback in Toronto was you crazy. are so right. <laughs> like, I, no offense to our Canadian brethren and sisters, <laughs> that was shocking. Yeah, that was shocking. Yeah, how uh, what wasn't it like? Look at this photograph. Mm -hmm. Those women, <laughs> yeah. lost their shit. Yeah, like they're still screaming. Who yeah. knew? That and not even to not even screaming at Nickelback, the band on stage. Like just literally <laughs> me pressing play on a Nickelback song, and they're <laughs> losing their minds. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah, it's crazy. Thought about that. Oh my word. Uh, yep. And uh, you know, we got to give it up because. Canada. Canada had <laughs> Canadia. I like Canada better. <laughs> yeah. Canada had a lot of performers that I didn't even For realize sure. were Canadian. Yeah. Yep. They had because you just kept going. I was like, certainly we've hit all. You were mm -hmm. like, no, let's get Shania. Let's mm -hmm. get Bieber. Let's, let's get, get Drake. Mendez. Let's get Drake. <laughs> the biggest artist let's in get, the world. Yeah. Yeah. Is Canada. Drake the biggest artist in the world? Uh I Would think that say? is actually Bad Bunny right now. Uh, that bunny's gigantic. Okay, wait a minute. Are you a movie guy? Yeah. Do you like movies? Have I do. you seen Bullet Train? I have not yet. Is it good? Asan, <laughs> it's so good. And I didn't know Bad Bunny was in it. Yeah. I just, it was a character. And then my son told me that uh, that was Bad Bunny. Yeah. Okay, real quick, important mm -hmm. for all listeners. Frankly, if you handled, if you're still hanging after the conversation we had today, yeah. you're going to love Bullet Train too. Exactly. <laughs> it's very like, Tarantino vibes, okay. not fully, mm -hmm. but like Kill Bill, just go, please go see it. I had never even heard of it. I just wanted to go to the movies. I'm not going to lie. I wanted to mm -hmm. go to the movies. I wanted to have a cocktail. My kids were with their dad. I was like, let's do it. Mm -hmm. It's it's Brad Pitt. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm a 39-year-old woman. I'm not made of stone. It's Brad Pitt. <laughs> it's so well done. I laughed. I cried. I it, The action is phenomenal. And the writing is incredible. And it's like that guy's first screenplay ever so screw him wow. because it's too good to be the first thing that ever gets made of yours so that's crazy oh highly recommend is this your favorite um, era of brad pitt do you have a or do you have another favorite ooh, era of brad pitt? i mean there's no i'm sorry like legend of the fall mm -hmm. into you know what i can't even choose because i was about to say into fight club those are two completely different eras remember <laughs> yeah. fight club when he yes. had that stomach come yes. on you know what can he do wrong I don't. No, I don't he think can't. it's possible. No, he's, he's great. He's never done anything wrong. I mean, I feel like that breakup with Angelina was maybe not the best. But in terms of movies, oh, did you see Maverick? Did you see I Top did. Gun? Yeah, I totally did. Yeah. How good was that? So good. I've seen it twice. It's really good. I enjoyed it a lot, actually. Can we look? Okay, controversial topic. Controversial uh -huh. statement. Yeah. Fucking Tom Cruise. He's he's a psycho in like the best way possible. In the best way possible. Also, like, openly the leader of a very dangerous, hurtful cult. Like, everybody yeah. knows. Nobody's yeah. confused. They're probably going to, like, sue me for saying that. Everybody knows. And damn it, you're just like, I he's too good. 
Yeah. He's he, too good. It's, he's real good at making like really good movies. <laughs> yeah. And if you think about it, there was a long period of time where we didn't hear from Tom. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, okay, I'm just going to bring back Mission Impossible, but I'm going to do all my own stunts. And they're going to be so insane that you're just going to still love me. Like, he went crazy very publicly for a while. Like, remember yeah. he was jumping up and down on Oprah's stage and, like, Katie Holmes yeah, and the I whole do. thing. And I was like, this man's insane. Mm-hmm. And here, I hate myself. Mm-hmm. But I saw Maverick and I was like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> yeah, it's when you, like, for, like, when I look at someone like Tom Cruise, like, Scientology aside, like, I look at someone like that and I'm like, I'm so glad he's using his, like, insanity for things that people enjoy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he could totally be using his You're insanity right. to do all kinds of things. Like, he could probably take well, over the world that if he wanted we to. know of. That, that we know, we know of. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we don't know. Behind the scenes, they could be using that that level of obsession for all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but that, honestly, Top Gun, it, yeah. it's real good. And, who again, the writing of being able to, like have little nods and winks to the original movie, but mm-hmm. also do something new and different and fresh. Ugh, so good. Hurts yeah. my feelings. They let him and and let him is is a stretch. But I like that he was old in this movie. Like yes. they let him be his age yes. and not like right. pretend like he's like the young hotshot guy. You know what I mean? Right. Like they've been but doing you, for so long. And honestly, his body looks phenomenal right. for the age that he is. But if you watch it again, Please laugh with me in spirit at the scene on the beach where they're playing football. Oh, my goodness. Because it, his, yes, his body, I give him credit. But if you watch that again, please note that every time it cuts to him, like anything below his nipples Dude, is just in like, shadow. Yeah. It's in shadow. They're like, we are not getting tight on this. Yeah. We're not getting direct. Cut to Miles Teller, like dead light, like six pack abs, mm-hmm. looking young, looking hot. Back to Tom, shadow, like shadow mm. for no reason. It's so funny how they cut that. Yeah. Because it's like, we don't, none of us want to say Tom Cruise's body looks good for a six-year-old man. Yeah. We just all want to believe that Tom Cruise's body looks good for Tom Cruise. Yeah. And just, so does so does Tom is. Cruise for the record. Like, right. I think he'd be miserable if you said that he right. looks good for a 60-year-old. <laughs> right. Well, also, is he 60 all of a sudden? I was like, maybe he's not that old. He no, he's is, probably close to that. I would imagine. Man, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. That's got to be hard, though. Like, I couldn't imagine being uh, someone like Tom Cruise or The Rock or uh, or like basically any woman in Hollywood where like you have the pressure to look a certain way is so heavy on you from every direction. Like, I couldn't even imagine. Like, I'm sure you deal with that to a degree. Like, I'm sure there's like you feel some kind of uh, pressure, like to look a certain way, to present yourself a certain way. And like I just couldn't do that. It's been a lot of growth and therapy and healing for me yeah. to believe that I could record this podcast with you and not be wearing makeup. Yeah. To believe that like I still have wisdom and value to offer the world and worth if I'm not with a full blowout and full makeup and all that mm-hmm. stuff because that's just how I came up believing that you were supposed to be. So I think that's still an unraveling that exists inside me that I'm actively working on. Mm-hmm. On the same token of like what it's like to be an actor to be a celebrity or to be in that industry. Um, Do you ever watch The Shop? LeBron James' show on HBO. It's like my favorite show ever. Mm -hmm. I've seen all the episodes. It's a great show. So good. I was watching the last season. Oh, I'm terrible with athletes. Is it Carmelo Anthony? 
Carmelo that Anthony. A yeah, he's a basketball okay, player. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, yep, that sounds right. Mm -hmm. And the episode that he was on, there was him and then another uh, a woman who was in the WNBA. Okay. And they were talking about emotional health and mental health. And he was like, oh, I have a theory. Every professional athlete is depressed, period. Mm -hmm. Like, you will not convince me anything else. Hmm. And they were like, whoa, unpack that, explain. And he was like, you do, if you want to be the best, if you want to be in the upper echelon, if you want to do this work, mm -hmm. you're going to do the same thing over and over and over. Every single day, you're going to do the same routine. You're going to eat the same things. You're going to go to the same place. You got to go to bed. You got to do. And mm -hmm. if you work your hardest, if you stay in this routine that's monotonous, if you work your absolute hardest, if you win it all, mm -hmm. the second you win, guess what? Tomorrow you got to wake up and you start doing that routine again because you got to be ready for next season. Mm -hmm. And he was explaining what that felt like. And I never thought, because every other athlete in that circle was like, as soon as he said it, they were all like, yep, that's the mm -hmm. truth. This is not fun in the way people, like if you've ever seen that documentary of Tom Brady, mm -hmm. his life looks terrible and he's yeah. married to a supermodel. Like he just watches game tapes and eats salmon. Like it's the most monotonous, but that's what it is to be the best. And yeah. I guess we're gambling that like, what you think later in life that it'll pay off. And, I'm not yeah. questioning it because they're way cooler than I am, but. Well, well, sports is, and I think a lot of athletes are are waking up to this, but sports is probably one of the most brutal industries even I would say even more so than Hollywood, because I feel like at least in Hollywood, there are still opportunities to create lasting value for people beyond what you're doing on a day to day basis. Um, like you can create something you can you can go off and be in a movie tomorrow that changes the world forever. And so people stamp at, uh, actors that they like with a a much more lasting sort of uh, transcendent form of value to them. And with athletes, it's much more about what are you doing for me right now? And the yeah. moment you leave a team and you're playing for a different team, the, no one likes you anymore. The moment you're the moment you blow your knee out and can't play anymore, you're you're of zero value to the rest of the world. And like, sure, there are some athletes that have lasting legacies, but the bar for that amongst professional athletes is so high. Like yeah. you can be an actor and just have a small role in a commercial that like changes every like I look like flow from progressive or something like that. <laughs> like you can be that like and, and no shade to flow because she's hilarious yeah. and like what oh, they've built is like bank. one of the she's best advertising campaigns of all time. Yes. But like you could be, you know, one of the greatest athletes in the world. And and if you don't live up to a certain level of potential that um, completes the narrative that people have in their head about you, then like you're of zero value. And so it's like, it's extremely brutal. Like it's, I, and, and a lot of athletes are waking up to that. There's, there's a lot of earlier retirements and there have been before because people are getting the value that they would like out of professional sports. And then they're, they're done because it's like, why yeah. continue to damage my body? If like, it's not bringing the type of value that, that they want, you know? Well, I think when you see those stories, like there's a documentary, it's incredible about yeah. Tony Hawk. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen it, please watch it. It's okay. so good. But you don't even understand. He's one example, but you I never could have uh, understood how destroyed his body is. Oh, yeah, it's I mean, it's nuts. brutalized. And he's not even a football player who's getting slammed into again and again and yeah. again. Uh -huh. And they're literally these athletes are literally destroying their bodies in order to perform, and it's exactly what you said. The second that they stop being relevant, the second 
Mm-hmm. Nobody cares anymore. That Nobody team cares. doesn't care. Those fans don't care. What kind of crazy existence is this like chasing worth, right? If I can mm-hmm. just do the right thing, if I can just throw this touchdown, if I could just but if you if something happens to you and you're hurt, you're mm-hmm. screwed. It mm-hmm. is so wild. Yeah. You 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 have to I mean that's why it's important to find internal sources of value and validation because no matter what career you're in if you're looking for it only externally like you're going to be let down and I think athletes are just like a hyper like a hyper version of that like a hyper yeah. magnetized version of that you know yeah. yeah it's so real too the idea that we're taught societally that it's what's outside us yeah. it's how much money can you make it's what's the new thing that you can buy it's how do you look it's who are your friends where do you live all of those mm-hmm. things and it's all it's all fake the only thing yeah. really honestly yeah. it's what's inside you mm-hmm. the only thing that's ever going to make you happy whole complete content any of those emotions that you're pursuing it's always always going to be what is inside yourself mm-hmm. and nobody wants to hear that because that's the hardest work there is to do it's yeah. so much easier to have a drink it's so much easier to go buy something that makes you feel good it's so much easier to go spend time with a friend who's going to hype you up than it is to go meet with a therapist again this week and unpack your shit again mm-hmm. this week but and it's slow. It's not fast. It's not, you know, it doesn't numb you. You got to feel every single second of it. But that's the only real authentic, like, how do we get to be who we really want to be and feel really good and content where we are right now today? Uh, you just closed the loop. I think you answered your question from earlier, like, where's the power in being a con- like a, a just a, a vessel of consciousness? I think that is the power. The power is because we have a a subjective idea of what the world is like for each for each person like we have the power to show up to whatever it is that is going on in in the world and in our life like we have the the ability to choose how we interface with that and then what we do with that you know what i mean and that's that's the power and like the moment we start off offloading and offshoring like that responsibility as opposed to going to therapy as opposed to like doing all the things you just described that like finding those internal senses of value the moment we start to offshore uh, uh significant amounts of that to other things we're giving that power away to other things yeah. and sometimes you know I, i'm not here to like talk down anybody or anything like sometimes you need to do that that's why we have things in place because everybody doesn't have the same allotment in life in terms of like uh, capacity to interface. Some things, Hell some people's yeah. lives oh, are very chaotic. Yeah. And, you know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, sometimes no, you do need to off. Where yeah. I'm like, all I've got right now is the ability to make a drink. I know that that's yes. not healthy, yeah. but during COVID, during lockdown, 100%. like when it was like day 22 and I at home with the kids and we're all afraid and what it's like, all right, fuck it. I'm making <laughs> yeah. a drink. That's all yeah. I got right 100%. now. 100%. I just yeah. like Zoomed, had a cocktail party with my friends and you were DJing. We'd all get on Instagram and mm-hmm. watch you DJ. None of us knew what was going on. That's Nothing. all the capacity we had. We have, but yeah. when you have little, you know, bits, little space, little moments where you're like, okay, I've got a little bit more capacity. I've got the energy. I've got the space or maybe even I need to fight for this space because I know I've got to heal this stuff. I've got to break these generational cycles. Like that's Mm -hmm. the work. That's why we're Mm -hmm. here. And I think we've had this long, beautiful conversation. (laughs) And I love, I love the example of this again, pulling it back into the idea of tour. I feel like 
first of all, this is not what we're talking about at tour. If anyone's like, am I about to go up to <laughs> Charleston and these two are going to be up there? No, it's not. I promise it's not that There will be all. much more dancing than um, yeah, long-winded conversations. Dancing, <laughs> lots of like, what are your goals? What's yeah. going on with your heart? But what I think is beautiful about our conversation mm -hmm. is like, there is not an obvious reason why anyone would look at you and I and be like, yeah, those guys are friends. It's <laughs> the beauty of it, man. They, that is the beauty of it. We yeah. come from such different worlds. We're such different people. And we always have the best time when we're together mm -hmm. because I think we both possess this like open heart about mm -hmm. curiosity. Mm -hmm. Who are people? What are they about? How can we connect? How are we growing? How are we going yeah. deeper? That is what this tour is. Like it is a chance to experience people who are not like you, but have some things like we all have things in common that we're all like trying to become a better version of ourselves, mm -hmm. And the beauty of our community is that someone in the audience is an entrepreneur. Someone is a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. Someone is a stay-at-home mama. Someone mm -hmm. is a struggling actor. Like there's every kind of person, mm -hmm. man, woman, they, she, him, everybody's in that community. And what aligns us is this curiosity and this desire to want something more out of life. So- how the hell are you, man? What's going on? <laughs> I'm well. I'm getting settled into a, a new apartment, actually. Whereabouts? Uh, I'm in Hollywood, kind of near like um, Paramount Studios, off of like oh, Melrose. Yeah. 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 I used to live just past Melrose on, oh God, like Mel past Vine, like in uh -huh. that area where I was like, and this was... I I don't know. Fit, no, more than that. I have a 15-year-old. So let's say 18 <laughs> years ago. So okay. I definitely at any moment felt like I was going to be murdered because it was <laughs> such a dangerous neighborhood at the time. Yeah. But rent, it was a two-bedroom apartment mm -hmm. for $1,000. And back then, 500 bucks a piece, that was gold. Yeah, that's crazy. You were living the dream. I really was. <laughs> is this your first time in Hollywood? This is my first time living in Hollywood, yeah. Now, did you move there, like roommate, girlfriend? What's your vibe? What's happening? No, in your life so right now? I, yeah, so um, I was in a relationship for a while uh, that ended a few months ago now, like three months ago. Whoa! Do you yeah. want to talk about this or no? Sure, we can. Yeah, you guys were together for a long time. Yeah, like five years. <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah. How does that feel? How are um, you feeling? It. Yeah, I'm of two minds about it, which I think uh, is normal. I think the the hardest part of going through that transition, the, like I have to tell you, um, but the hardest part about going through that transition was, you know, the the uncoupling process. Like we were living together for a while and like had, you know, a life together and, and a pet together and all of that stuff. So un, undoing that situation was, the I think, the most emotionally daunting part of it. But I think we we had some the reason we split up is because we had some like I, I would call them personality incongruencies. Like I feel like mm. uh, we we get, we came to a point, I think, a year and a half ago, maybe where we started to feel like we just weren't the type of people each other needed at the time that we were at. And we spent about, I will say, like a year, like a solid year, like really trying to to mitigate those things and trying to make them work. But like, I think we both got to a point because of where we're at kind of in life, 
the, over the past year, like I went through a lot of like transitions career wise and like had a lot of opportunities in front of me and like was really like focusing hard and spending a lot of energy on that kind of stuff, as well as like I started going to therapy for like the first time in my life a year and a half ago. And Incredible. so, yeah. <laughs> and so, that, st- no, that's yeah. so good. Yeah. It, no, it's, it's been amazing. But like doing all of that self work and like, and going through all the transition and stuff that I was going through, I think we both got to a place where like we were so, we were giving so much to what we were trying to like become individually that like we didn't have a whole lot left over to like pour into like trying to make some very important incongruencies congruent. And we just right. both kind of got tired and we were like, ah. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's also, I mean, this is the thing that I don't think people get or that people don't want to hear because mm-hmm. it's so countercultural to the way, you know, you were raised in the church, right? I was, yeah. Yeah. So being raised in the church is so countercultural to what we were taught, which was mm-hmm. like you would essentially meet someone when you were, you know, 18 years old and yeah. then you would just be with them until you you Forever. were 100 and that's <laughs> yeah. how it would be. Yeah. And what I, I it's such a beautiful idea, but all respect to that narrative, I don't think that that holds any space for the evolution of us as human beings. Because if you grow and change as human beings, you are a different person (laughs) than the 18-year-old that met them or the version of you five years ago. And who this happens with friends. This happens with houses, apartments, jobs, like all of it, where you just like when you came in, you were at a certain vibrational level Mm -hmm. and over time hopefully because you're evolving you grow to a different level and if you're not growing to the same place or the same values there's nothing wrong with that but it's it's going to make for a like you said incongruencies like it's just going to make for something that's more tension than flow and the older I get, the yeah. more I want to be in states of flow where, I mean, literally, like the, the cover of my phone or the wallpaper of my phone <laughs> right now says, find more power in riding the waves than trying to control them. Yeah, I like that. This is, this is where I'm going is like, I want to like learn to not constantly be the salmon that's swimming upstream. As people, we have an intuition about change and we have an intuition about like with most things in life, we have an intuition about like, yeah, the evolution of things, the growth of things, things becoming different. With relationships, we've really romanticized the idea of like committing to that for life, no matter what. And I think that is counterintuitive to like most of what we do as human beings. Right. It's really kind of the only thing that we romanticize committing to for life. Even with like children, we don't commit necessarily to our relationship with our children being the same for the, the entire life. That's crazy to You're me. You're so right. <laughs> well, and I, I remember when I was going through the divorce, I was reading uh-huh. so many books. Obviously, this is like how I try and teach myself or heal myself. And I was reading so many books. And I remember one of the books I read was talking about why do we celebrate the amount of time that you're in a relationship? Like you see a couple and you're like, you know, they're celebrating Mm -hmm. the 40th anniversary and everyone like cheers for them or whatever. It doesn't matter to the people cheering, like if those were 40 good years (laughs) or, you know, two of them were great, 38 were terrible. We celebrate the longevity instead of celebrating the quality. And then there's this sort of, I don't know, why do you think 
because I feel like people are afraid of the idea. And I was this way too. I remember hearing about celebrities like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow and what's his face consciously uncoupled. The guy from uh, Coldplay. Coldplay. Yeah, Chris, Chris Martin. Martin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they consciously uncoupled or whatever. And I was yeah. just like, oh, you know, again, this sort of Christian church narrative of like, how dare you yeah. break up? And how how could you try and say that that was evolved? And in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, that's really freaking, yeah, that it is. And it's yeah. so controversial. I already can hear the emails that we're going to get from people just like, how dare you? <laughs> I know. The sanctity of marriage. But it is beautiful if. Yeah. You're growing together, you're changing together, and the new version of who you are continues to be aligned with the new version of who they are. Yeah. If it isn't that, mm -hmm. it's what? Like, it's I, yeah, I, 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 toxic? I don't know. I think a good way to illustrate it is like, it's the difference between telling someone like, oh, I've, you know, we've been married for 40 years, right? Like, there's an immediate like need to affirm somebody's like willingness to be married for 40 years to the same person. And, and regardless, and like you said, they don't even, there's no, almost no thought to like, well, have those been 40 pleasant years? Like, has there been any right. growth in those 40 years? Like, none of those questions come up. But if someone was like, I've been at the same job for 40 years, um, <laughs> you, you, you might have the same urge to celebrate them. But on the flip side, if they told you, hey, I've been at the same job for 40 years and it's just not. It's just not uh, serving me and and my serving my growth the way that I want it to anymore. And so I'm gonna like find a different situation that for the season and the person that I am now. There would be an immediate celebration of that and almost like yeah. no. Well, I mean, you kind of committed to being at this job, so you should probably. Right. You stood up in front of your family <laughs> and, and your grandma, yeah. and you said you were gonna have this job forever. <laughs> yeah. And, and sorry, I, you're yeah. locked in. So there's like I think what it is is people have this like foundational fear of being alone. I think there's two versions of that. The raw sort of animal sense of like, you want to have a partner and com companionship. We've been conditioned over, over like generations to want that. I think people are just a, a lot of times afraid to be alone for less desirable reasons. I think a lot of times people are afraid to be alone um, because they don't want to have to be alone with themselves. And I think yeah. a lot of times people project that onto the rest of society. And so like, you know, a lot of that comes uh, with, you know, judgment about marriage and stuff like that. And look, I'm not opposed to lifetime commitments if that's something that someone wants to do. But I don't think that whether it's a commitment to be in a, uh, you know, a committed, uh, legally recognized uh, relationship with someone, or if it's a commitment to, you know, doing yoga or a commitment to having a, a particular career or, or a particular hobby, like, I don't think that there's anything worth sacrificing future moments of showing up to yourself and your situation honestly. That's mm -hmm. like, I don't think there's anything that's worth putting a lifetime commitment of consistency as the the sort of validation of that thing over like the potential of showing up one day dishonest, dishonestly or unhappy to something. It's right, like, I think, right. the, yeah, it's all about sort of perspective and how you think of your uh, your future existence. If you think of your future existence in contrast to where you are now, okay, that, that's one way to look at it. But I think you're ultimately fighting an uphill battle. And this is all like kind of coming back to mindfulness, sort of being in the moment and like thinking of yourself as having future moments and setting yourself up with the commitments that you make now to like 
be able to show up well in the future, like I, in, in a moment to moment basis, I think is important. And like no lifetime yeah. commitment, I think is worth sacrificing that. You know what I mean? If you if those issues arise. Well, I mean, I think it's going back to sort of what was the intention at the beginning of that? Your relationship in my past relationship, the intention was pure and honest and like this is what we're doing. And in both of our cases, it sounds like getting to a point where you realize something was mm -hmm not working or not right anymore and trying harder and doubling down and what can we do and let's mm -hmm. unpack this and all those things. But if you've done, honestly done, mm -hmm. what you can do to make this thing work, but you know in your heart of hearts that it's just not right, mm -hmm. I think most people will stay inside of something because they don't wanna be the bad guy, because mm -hmm. they don't wanna hurt this person that they love, because they don't want the, opinions of other people to come at them. And it's a really, like, without question, the most difficult decision I've ever made, mm -hmm. the hardest time period, like, not even done yet, like, still a hard time period. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Mm -hmm because it was the right decision for me. Yeah. And I think that that gets so much flack, especially for women, mm -hmm. because you're not supposed to make a choice like that. That is not a societal norm mm -hmm. for a woman to decide like, you know what? This isn't mm -hmm. the right thing. I don't feel like this is healthy for me. And if it's not healthy for me, it cannot be healthy for my children. And so I'm gonna make this decision in spite of what other people think of it and be willing to deal with all of the fallout that comes from that. Because even in the shit, mm -hmm. even in like the process of walking through hell, mm -hmm. it's still better because at least it's honest. Yeah, it's honest and it's it's compassionate to, I think, both both people in the situation and the relationship. Because if, if you truly love someone that you're in a relationship with, and you are unhappy in said relationship like you sh it, like i feel like you should want the other person to be in a relationship where the their partner is showing up to it right. honestly authentically and and that goes both ways you know right yeah. right a hundred percent are you even thinking about someday when you date again is that scary is that because when I broke up, I was like, I will never talk to, I don't even want to see another man. Like, F all this, <laughs> screw love. Like, I don't, I yeah. didn't, I wasn't making a decision because I wanted someone else. I was making a decision because I wanted to choose myself. Yeah, I hear you. Where I'm at now is like the idea of a sort of a committed relationship that's leaning towards a lifetime commitment is something that like, I'm not particular that, that that idea right now with where I'm sitting does not sound great. <laughs> um, um, because I, I honestly am in a, in a place right now where like I'm rethinking like what do relationships look like? What what purpose should relationships serve? I think as a society and let's just talk about like just Western culture, I guess. But as a society, you know, the sort of the typical Western idea of marriage, like I think there's a lot of institutions and things that we participate in because they have served the greater good of the collective of society for so long uh, for us to do that. And to, and we do it sort of out of like tradition and because it's like been meaningful in the past. But I feel like we have, we've gotten to a point where like, and I think this should be a constant thing. I don't think it should happen one time in 2022 because people are unhappy in their relationships. But I think that like with anything that we do out of tradition or out of like collectively as like a sort of in its institutionalized thing, I feel like we should ask ourselves like, 
is this still serving us? Like, what is what is the purpose of this? Do we still need to adhere to these particular norms in order to um, get the same positive downstream effects that they once had? And I just don't know about like I can completely understand where like a lifetime commitment to one person in a relationship is extremely serving to the larger community and like is worth for the in order for the propagation of the species is worth for everyone like to uh, or like at least the majority of people to like engage in that experiment or into into that idea or that concept but like i don't know if it is now like i and i'm just in i'm at the point where like i'm rethinking like all of that what that means and, and like right you know and i love companionship i'm the type of person who like i love being with people i love companionship i love hanging out i love going to korean barbecue and like stuffing my <laughs> face with someone and, and talking you know having great conversation like i love all of that like i love sex i love all of that stuff but um, within the context of like a lifetime commitment, I'm just not sure that is like, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it yet, yeah. honestly. And that's great. That's yeah. honestly, that's a beautiful place to be is yeah. like, I'm not sure. I don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah. And I feel like that continues to evolve for me, even mm. the growing up and everything was about this idea of getting married. Yeah. And I remember when I first started dating Kez, I was like, oh, wait, do we have to get married? Like, if I want to be with this person, are we supposed to get married? Because you yeah. know the culture that we come I from. Do. Like, that's so ingrained in my head. And I actually think it's so beautiful to be in a relationship where both of us are choosing to be here. Yeah. Like, I cannot express mm -hmm. enough how this is not everybody's story, but that when you're in a really long-term marriage, it it starts to feel a bit like we're here because we we married each other. Right. And the idea that both of us are here and we're in this thing because we choose to be, like I, every day I wake up and I choose you. And every day he wakes up and he's like, I choose you. And we're doing this thing together. Yeah. I just, is so beautiful and is so different yeah. than how I was raised to believe a relationship was supposed to be. And I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if, you're in your 80s and you're like, I'm still here choosing you. Like, there's no contract that says I have to be here. Mm -hmm. There's no, like, none of that is there. Mm -hmm. It's just this choice. It's like Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. <laughs> I mean, this is, or Oprah and Stedman. Like, mm -hmm. they, they all had it figured out and we're, none of us, none of the rest of us did. Do you remember <laughs> how, because how old are you? I am 31. 31. Okay, uh -huh. so I'm a little older and I don't even know if this is going to translate, but do you remember how, like, in the 90s, 2000s, like, the fact that Oprah and Stedman weren't married, the fact that Kurt and Goldie weren't married, it was so controversial. Yeah. Like, these people had been together for, like, 40 years or 30 years or 20 years, mm -hmm. and it was so crazy. It was such a, like, oh, my God, Hollywood's mad. <laughs> Hollywood's just wild that people could be together and not be married. And you know what's was, crazy is like, yeah, I think there is something specifically about them being, I mean, I'm assuming they're monogamous, but I think there's something about them being monogamous and not married that ruffles people's feathers more than if they were non-monogamous non -monogamous and not married, right. which is insane Why to me. Why do you me. think that is? Why do you think that is? Well, I think we've romanticized the idea of marriage so that more people do it. it marriage to me is a lot like like college, like we've romanticized the idea of going to college because we want more people to go to college. We want people to be educated. And we've done that with marriage because if we're going to be honest about marriage as an institution, it really does make certain things easier, especially for young people. Like 
if if I want to, if I'm, you know, in my mid 20s and I want to go buy a house, right? It becomes much easier, even if I'm just trying to rent a place, it becomes much easier if I have two incomes attached to my name. Uh, it yep. becomes, you know, there are all kinds of tax incentives when you start having kids. If I want to just raise a kid, a lot of times it's much easier with two people around. Like, I think there's like, there's these like concrete advantages to being married that I think serve a, uh, serve people when they're, especially when they're younger, um, when they're trying to establish themselves. But I think, I think there's nothing wrong with like, when you get like acknowledging the reality of that, because as, as we, I think we're starting to do now with higher education is like, we're looking, it's like, well, maybe everybody doesn't, doesn't need to need go to that. college. Like, yes. You know what I mean? Beans has this great joke that she mm-hmm. always talks about because her and Sammy don't want to have kids. Mm-hmm. And that her joke is always that people <laughs> are like, when are you guys going to have kids? Why don't well, you should have kids? Why don't you want to have kids? But she's like, you just spent 30 minutes telling me how terrible it is mm-hmm. to be a parent. Yeah. Nothing about what you just described would make me want to have a child. Yeah. I'm like, no, but it, it's great. It'll be different when it's your baby. And I feel like parenting is another one of those things yeah. that society tells us is for everyone. And it's not. It's not for it everyone. It is not. It is like, I, I, as you know, I have four children. Mm-hmm. Here's this thing that I just had this epiphany yesterday, Asan. Mm-hmm. My four kids, I got 15, 14, 10, and five. My four kids do not care that I am parenting three other children. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they, in their mind, they are the only creature in the universe. It does not matter to them that mommy just spent the whole day shuttling one kid around for baseball, taking mm-hmm. care of a five-year-old, helping the nine-year-old with a science project. Like. The 15-year-old, the second there's a, a free opening, Jackson's like, oh, mom, remember you said that you were going to help me with that thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I am. That's right. And it was, it's only taken me 15 years to realize yeah. they don't give a crap Yeah. that you're tired. Mm-hmm. They don't care that you work full time. They don't care. Mm-hmm. Parenting is so damn hard. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Rewarding, amazing. I love my kids. So hard. Mm-hmm. And society would tell every single person, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of whether or not they're interested in it, regardless mm-hmm. of their emotional well-being, their mental health, regardless of any of it. Like, mm-hmm. you got to have that baby, though. You got to have that baby. Yeah. It's like all it's exactly what you're talking about. This idea that there are all of these things mm-hmm. that we've just always done. Well, it's the way it's always been done. Mm-hmm. And so we fall into a pattern or a rhythm or a process and just kind of follow and do what everyone else is doing. And I think what we're seeing, I feel like this happens in your 30s and I'm super excited to head into my 40s. So I feel like that's about to be the decade. <laughs> but I feel like you start to question a lot of the things yeah. that you used to believe mm-hmm. and that the older you get, the more you have the courage to voice those questions and go, yeah. wait a minute. I don't know if this is for me. And is that okay? Yeah. Like, am I allowed to be here if I right. don't want to do the things that you think I should be doing? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an important point. Uh, I've been saying this a lot, too. I think the reason I feel like we're seeing more separations and divorces of people over over certain ages, like like 40 and, and, and people even in their 50s, like I've seen a lot of that. I think the reason we're seeing that 
too is is along the lines of what you just said i think a lot with the rise of people going to therapy and doing self-work i think a lot of times especially for the generation like before us like people who are now in their 50s and stuff like that like they've never intentionally in a structured way let's say like done self the kind of self-work and the self-analysis that you do in therapy and so the a lot of people are engaging in that and are now valuing and and viewing their self differently and so a lot of people are thinking about their relationships differently because for the first time maybe in their lives they're like considering what their experience of the world is now and like how that's being shaped by the relationships they're in and all that kind of stuff and so people are are for the first time like looking at themselves and like continuing to better themselves into later ages um and i think that's why a lot of times and not saying people getting divorced because they're better people i'm saying people are getting divorced because i think they're realizing that like you don't you don't like life is not just a stagnant thing that you stop evolving at 25 and then you get married or whatever it is like i think people are realizing that i'm i'm a much different person and i could be a different person five years from now and so i think people are, are taking a different look not for nothing but we're living longer than ever for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not abnormal now to expect to live to 80, 90, even mm-hmm. 100. Mm-hmm. And suddenly if it, like it used to be if you were 40, you're middle-aged. Right. If you're 40 now, mm-hmm. do you have 50 more years? Mm-hmm. Do you have more years left on this earth than you've even lived so far? Yeah. With more access and resources and information and wisdom and all of that stuff at your fingertips, I hope that we're making decisions that sort of shake ourself and and yeah. ask what we're doing and and why we're doing it. And this makes me think of a question that I feel like you <laughs> absolutely have an opinion on. Okay. Which is this idea of like being in the matrix or being oh. in a simulation. Yes. What is your belief about the simulation? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's perfectly plausible to to conclude that we're living in some kind of sim- simulation that's being ran by some other entity or consciousness or, or some other um, intelligence out there. I think that like, man... I, I think. Well, wait, let me tell you. So I was just talking, you know, my friend Tom Billu, you've seen yes. him speak at Rise before. 100%, so I was yeah. talking to Tom about this and you know, Tom has yes. some crazy ass perception. Yeah. And he said, he was talking so fast, I could barely keep up with what he was <laughs> saying. But here's like the nugget that I mm-hmm. took out of it was he was like, if you could just conceive of the fact that this could be a simulation, then mm-hmm. you have to also accept the fact that there's no way this is the first one. Yeah. It's true. So are you actually a simulation of a simulation of a simulation? It's <laughs> like, true. I mean, <laughs> I think the foundation of, and it may, Tom can come back on and correct me, but I think the foundation of like simulation theory is like, if if we can conceive of, like we're at a place in our culture right now in technology wise, we're like, we're able to create simulations that are pretty, you know, pretty good. But like, we can all imagine a, a, pl- a, a place where the simulations become so good that we can't distinguish it from like what is what we consider reality and not reality so who's to say we're not already at that point and just don't right. realize it i right. yeah totally i'm like I i'm just totally had this conversation with jackson last night because yeah. i was trying to explain to him i have such a not a fear but i have such a trepidation i guess it mm-hmm. about the future of social media the mm. future of vr what this does not to me right because i grew up as a child, I didn't have the internet. I didn't right. have social media. I didn't mm-hmm. have a phone till I was like 19. Yeah. So 
my kids have only known this world. And I talk to them about a lot, like, do you understand that none of this is real and all of this is an algorithm? Mm -hmm. Meaning like when you're going on social media, this is an algorithm that is being set up, even Google. What, what you would Google and find, if you and I Google the same thing, me in Texas and you in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. it's going to autofill with different options based yeah. on where we're living in the country, the conservative or liberal state of the world around us. And that is terrifying yeah. for teenagers like because of what it looks like now. But what I'm freaked out about is what does it look like 10 years from now? Like yeah. right now with VR, right? You got to put on a headset. You're like, mm-hmm. whoa, this is like kind of trippy. Mm-hmm. What's it going to be like when you can pop in contacts or when people don't even know that you're, you know, ready player one or whatever? Mm-hmm. Like, I know I sound crazy right now. No, you don't at all. I'm so worried for our kids. I, like, oh, I think, God. Yeah. Well, I think so. I, so here's why that idea doesn't totally frighten me. So I, I'm trying to think of the world in more of like a like with without the self like without the lens of the self because um i'm getting to the point now i've been listening to so much sam harris that like i think that like i i've come to conclude that the self the idea of the self is an illusion self meaning like the way that we perceive who we perceive ourselves yeah self meaning yeah. like the the there is a social concept that is rachel hollis there's a social mm-hmm. concept that is asan but like but that doesn't have any bearing on like what the collection of thoughts and memories are that we call Rachel is like it's you are a collection of thoughts and memories and you are a conscious experience of uh, like existing right if we're able to like if we're able to just for this thought experiment like step aside from the idea of uh there is a being inside of who we call Rachel Hollis that is like a transcendent like entity if we remove that idea and we just concede that you are soul is that what you yeah your soul soul, yeah Yeah. if we concede that you don't have a soul and that you are a collection of all your thoughts and memories and how you were raised and all that kind of stuff what is a uh, simulation i think gives it sort of like an artificial name uh so like what if we just called it like anything like experience say we just call it an experience right if you have a virtual experience, like on a video game or something like that, what happens? You you turn on, like from the perspective of the characters in the game, they pop into existence. They're conscious at whatever level that they're conscious at. Let's just concede that there's some level of consciousness there. And then when whatever, when it's done, like when the when the experience is over, they are at, they are not conscious anymore and the experience ends. How is that any different from life as we know it? Damn, you're so right. You're it's so not right. at all. Um, and yeah. I think when we say simulation, we sort of read into it that it's some kind of like technological thing that's being yeah, run by like some other person or are entity. controlling the world. Yes. Yeah, no, I, but I, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. I mean, what we are literally is, you know, we are a, a consciousness having an experience of the rest of the universe for the time that we have. And then we and then it, we're not conscious of that experience anymore. I, I think it's. I think uh, well, you're just playing a language the power, game. Yeah. yeah, what's the power mm-hmm. in, un, like, if you think of it that way, mm-hmm. if you think of it as this reality is a creation of your own making, right? Mm-hmm. It's the experiences you've had. It's the way that you were raised. It's mm-hmm. what you perceive that to be. You and I mm-hmm. could have the exact same experience, and you could perceive it as the best day of your life, and I could perceive it as the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. So that can shift in a moment. Like I think we've all gone through something where 
something great happens, something horrible happens, and it changes, like the world tilts on its axis and suddenly the experience or the simulation becomes something else entirely. Mm -hmm. So I love the idea that like, if you think of it as a video game or if you think <laughs> of it as anything, how does that give us power of this moment? Of yeah. it, It's kind of going back to that idea of like not buying into the way right. that we have always done things. So I was just watching the documentary on Netflix called Coded Bias that mm -hmm. I was tripping out at and you should totally watch if <laughs> yeah. you haven't seen. So have you seen it? I have not. It sounds great though. It sounds like it's up my alley. Yeah, yeah. it totally is. But it essentially starts with the concept that people believe that the algorithm, the algorithm or computers mm -hmm. or artificial intelligence is like the greatest equalizer because it's just math, right? That there's no bias inside mm -hmm. of math. The problem is that the bias is created by the code because the code was created by a person who had inherent bias in themselves. Mm -hmm. So whether they meant to or not, the only way that AI can learn is that you give it a bunch of information and mm -hmm. then it's learning as it goes. So right. for instance, at the beginning of this documentary, there's this woman telling the story of She's like so badass, I can't even handle it. But she's at some really fancy school, like uh -huh. Harvard or Stanford or MIT or something. And one of the classes she's taking is that you go to a science fiction book, like mm -hmm. a famous science fiction book, and you find something that they describe in the science fiction book, and then you have to actually invent it. Oh, wow. Which is the craziest, <laughs> yeah. most amazing class ever. Yeah. And so she decides to make a mirror that if you look into it, it could augment your face and turn you into Serena Williams or a lion or some, basically that you could like hype yourself up by talking to yourself in the mirror, but that you would become your hero. And so in order to build this mirror, she does it it's so cool, but she needed facial recognition software mm -hmm. in order to like complete the project. Mm -hmm. So she gets the software set up, she looks into the mirror, and it's important mm -hmm. to say, she's a black woman. She mm -hmm. looks into the mirror, and the screen comes up and says, no face detected. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what? And so she yeah. keeps trying, and she's like, did I set this up wrong? Is the lighting in the room funny? Like, she can't figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then, just on a whim, she grabs like a white mask, like the kind that you'd use for like theater or something, just like a plain white mask, and puts it up, and immediately it's like face detected because the facial recognition software did not recognize her face as a face as a black woman mm -hmm. because the technology that was used to create right. it, and this was like Amazon or Google, like it was a major company who built this, had used pictures of white men mm -hmm. as a as a the thing that taught AI to recognize faces. Yeah. So that's how the documentary starts. And it's it's talking about how dangerous it is to believe that our technology is unbiased because of course it obviously is. Right. But then it grows to like how all of these countries, how China, how London, how America is now using facial recognition software to track people, to follow you <laughs> down the street, mm -hmm. to find you know, people who are committing crimes and it honestly, for you, Asan, for anyone listening, because if people are still with us, this because mm -hmm. this conversation has gone to some crazy places. <laughs> <laughs> totally fine. Um, with it. <laughs> honestly, this doc is wild, and it it like is kind of terrifying because you're like, oh, yeah. we're sheep. 
Yeah. We're totally sheep. Like we're letting our liberties be taken away. Mm -hmm. We're agreeing to this. Nobody's bothered that this stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent, but I highly recommend that one. I think it's a good point. And I think it connects to the uh, the original point you were making about like, what power do we have then if we are a, 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 a conscious experience? Like the uniqueness of being human, um, as far as we can tell, because as far as we can tell, we're the only animals on earth that have the level of conscious, subjective conscious experience that we have. The beauty, and we can communicate that to other people. And I think the beauty of being human is that we are both, if we're going to continue the analogy of like a simulation or a computer program or a video game, if we, like we as human beings are both the subjects that of like of the experiment or of the game or of the, the, the things that are subject, that are subjected to the algorithm. And we are also the creators of the algorithm. And I think what you're arguing for with like the facial recognition software, not recognizing um, certain hues of skin color or whatever it is, you're arguing for more data input. You're arguing for more, like what that what that algorithm needed was the experience of more things beyond what it had already experienced. And that translates in this an analogy to community. Like what what makes what makes us unique, even if there was some, if we could, if there was no human beings on earth, but there was one animal that had the consciousness of a human being. If you think about it long enough, that's like torture because you're having an experience that you cannot share with anybody else. I think that's like the, the things that make us special as humans is not only our ability to have a subjective experience of the world, but to share that with others, because that's mm-hmm. really the project of what we're all here to do. Because if there's a subjective experience of what it's like to be what we call a son, and there's a, a, a different subjective experience of what it means to be Rachel, like we, as knowing what it's like to suffer and knowing what it's like to flourish as a consciousness, like we have the duty to promote that uh, amongst our amongst each other. Like I want all consciousness to flourish as my own. I think that's what, I mean, that's the concept of love that we have, you know, like the idea of like, if we want to take it to church, the idea of like agape love, this idea of selfless love is recognizing the experience of others as your own and connecting to that. And it's not just out of altruism to say, hey, I did a good job today by recognizing someone else. It literally is part of the foundation of the project because if we're going to, the algorithm of, people the algorithm that governs people in like uh, in our interactions is what we call culture it's it's all of the norms all of the things that we buy into marriage dating all of that food travel all of that experiences all of that is culture and if we're not constantly feeding our like the code that's the code of the algorithm that's running through our in particular programming we're setting ourselves up to not see as many faces as there are that exist. So we owe it to ourselves to experience people, experience other consciousnesses and, and, and to build community. Like community is, is the foundation of what we owe to ourselves by having a conscious experience of the universe. Cause we, we do just don't have the capacity to do it all, all, all our, on our own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you feel like you've always believed that, like always had that belief about community or do you feel like that's something that you've grown into? I think the language that I've used to describe it is obviously I like I've learned recently, but I think I think within all of us, I think there is that sense. I think you you have to do work to unearth that and to make it like and to water those plants, because like I think a lot of times in the interest of sort of individual prosperity and in the interest of like efficient like efficiency at a, at a societal level, I think a lot of times 
though like the idea of community and things like that and what the, all the, the things we're talking about it can be very easily you can get distracted from and i think those can become like those kinds of thoughts can become dormant because it's much easier oftentimes to just think selfishly um yeah. because that that's also coded in us is to at a biological yeah, that's level human 100%. yeah is to be selfish yeah there's that old quote that says we don't see life as it is we see life as we are yeah like we see it through our specific lens I'm so excited to hang out with you in person. I'm excited to travel with you. Yeah. We're about to travel around this country. That feels fun. Yeah. But I want to tell anybody listening who wants to grab their tickets, we kick off our first city is Birmingham, Alabama on mm. September 30th. We're about mm -hmm. three weeks away. You can go to Rach Talk Live to grab your tickets. Come hang out with me and Asan. We're going to dream big. We're going to set some goals for ourselves. We're going to find community. It's going to be sick. And yeah. I love hanging out with you. I could talk to Likewise. you forever. You have, I'm looking you have forward to come to back. It. Let's do it again. Absolutely. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.